people are celebrating the new year and the new decade, 2020. Of course, we know that it's not the Islamic calendar, right? So for a lot of practicing Muslims, it's not on their mind, the idea that 2019 is 2020. From an Islamic point of view, time is important, but the year, the month, the day isn't that significant. We could die at any moment, any day. We're not guaranteed another year. So from that point of view, from an Islamic perspective, it is important to recognize that every day is a blessing from Allah, an opportunity, a challenge, and a test. And you also know that there's a lot going on in 2020 all over the world. Right? Muslim countries across the world are suffering, but that isn't the point of the khutbah today. Right? The big picture does include injustices and oppression across the world and many, many challenges. But we'll do our best to not talk about the fact that families are being separated or that people are wrongfully imprisoned or that people are tortured or rounded up in camps and murdered unjustly. We won't focus on that in this khutbah, but we'll make it more personal. We'll talk about me and you. We'll talk about us personally, individually, our families and our community. So that there's actually a takeaway, so that we can actually benefit. Because you can talk for hours about the Rohingya and the Uyghur, about the Syrians and the Palestinians and the Yemenis and the Kashmiris, and the list goes on, and it isn't super beneficial, although it has its time and place. So the takeaway from the khutbah is very simple. Three takeaways. One, invest in yourself. Two, invest in your families, which you're held accountable from Allah for especially if you're the father of the family and the mother of the family. And number three, invest in your communities. Right? The masjid you go to, the city you're in, the neighborhood you're part of. How do you invest in yourself? There's a whole long list of ways. And every single possible way of investing in yourself, every area of personal development, every way in which you can improve and do better, and there are many, at least three categories of personal development, knowledge, spirituality, and activism, they all start with a basic education. How do you know how to improve yourself Spiritually, if you don't know what spirituality is, if you don't know who Allah is and what your purpose in life is. How do you improve in any of the many areas of, of activism and impact in your society when you're not aware of the problems and the solutions and the causes and the, the campaigns to get involved in, the organizations to get involved in? So it all goes back to knowledge. Knowledge, spirituality, activism, three balls to juggle, three things to focus on, make you a comprehensive, well-rounded, full individual. Three areas of personal development and improvement. Of course, and Islam has a lot to say about each of them. But they all do start with a basic education. Knowledge comes first. Imam Bukhari, one of the greatest, if not the greatest scholar in Islamic history, one of the most recognized names on the planet, has a chapter in his book, of course, encyclopedias, but a chapter titled, The Chapter of Knowledge as a Prerequisite for Any Type of Word and Action. And it's a logical statement as well. Knowledge comes first. And you all know that there are countless ads and ahadith that tell us the significance of knowledge. There's plenty of space. Guys, please come forward. Or move, move this way and this way. Possible. Forward and to my left, to your right. No one should be standing for the next 20 minutes. Jazakumullah We all know that there are many ayahs and ahadith about knowledge and seeking knowledge. And stories of people who have really dedicated their lives seeking knowledge and what they've accomplished in terms of encyclopedias and influence and impact and written books that we've read, that we read centuries later. It's amazing. But it's not the purpose of this khutbah. But I think this is, this is important. I remember when I first recognized this point, it did have an impact on my life. So I'd like to share this. There's at least two categories of knowledge. So maybe this is getting a little bit confusing. So three, three takeaways of this khutbah, or three purposes, three pieces of advice for me and for you. To invest in yourself, to invest in your family, to invest in your community. Investing yourself generally falls into three categories of personal development. Knowledge, spirituality, and impact. Sorry, knowledge, spirituality, and activism. Under knowledge, there's two main categories of knowledge. And this one to me was, I thought this was amazing. 
revealed knowledge and acquired knowledge. Right? Both come from Allah, by the way. So Islamic theory on knowledge, you can say Islamic philosophy, call it what you want, it's called epistemology, the study of knowledge. Acquired knowledge and revealed knowledge. We live in a society, in a world today, that's overly obsessed with acquired knowledge. The natural sciences, for example, right? The scientist does his experiments, does his data, does his studies, shares his public, publish, publicizes or publishes his work. That's beautiful. Chemistry, biology, zoology, physics, astronomy, botany. And then the next generation of people come and they build on that data. So it's acquired knowledge. But it's from Allah because he created the minerals and the resources. He created the universe, the stars, the moon, the planets. He created the animals and the plants. He created our organs. He created us. He created our own intellect, our mind, and our societies. So it's acquired knowledge. So Allah gives it to us indirectly. It's beautiful, and there's countless ayahs and hadith about how we should go forth and study the patterns in the universe, the laws of creation, which is, of course, Allah's laws. And I can go on and on, but that's acquired knowledge. Right? The sciences, the math, engineering, medicine, etc. And there's a reason why we focus a lot on that in our material society, but there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. And then there's the revealed knowledge. So this is from Allah, but indirectly, right? because you have to go out to the universe and study. There's revealed knowledge which Allah directly sent down to humanity through prophets, through angels, and through <coughs> scripture. <coughs> so this is, in short, this is the Quran and the Sunnah. But of course, from the, from the verses, which is Allah's direct words, and from the Prophet Muhammad's statements, which some are directly Allah's words, but many of them were his own words from his understanding of revelation. From that came many, many different studies, many libraries, many encyclopedias, many works, many universities throughout history, and many subjects, aqidah and fiqh and sirah and hadith, and the list goes on. And of course, the Arabic language itself is part of the study. So at least two categories of knowledge. Why do I share this? I'm not an expert in any of these subjects, let alone these two areas. But I know that a life well spent is one where you're constantly learning, constantly developing. Even if you never become a scholar in any area, that's okay. But the process itself is blessed from Allah. Again, the ayahs and hadith are countless. That the angels follow your footsteps, that the angels pray for you, that angels make dua for you, that we're in a circle of knowledge, that Allah right? A list of ayahs and hadith, but the value of being someone who seeks knowledge, goes sits with the scholars and... So know that if you are, like many of us, involved in what we quote-unquote call secular knowledge, again, it's not the best term because it is directly from, or it is indirectly from Allah, it's all knowledge or beneficial knowledge comes back to Allah. If you're engaged in this, if this is your profession, your career, your bachelor's, master's, PhD, fine, but know that you're not balanced until you have at least some of each, at least the basics, the one-on-ones, both acquired and revealed knowledge, right? So that's education. Invest in yourself. And number two, under investing in yourself, expand your horizons. Right? Meet people that are different than you. Know that it's not a very Islamic idea that you are obsessed, not involved in, but obsessed in people that look like you. People from your nationality, your ethnicity, your tribe, your country, your race. Natural. There's nothing wrong with it. It makes sense that you're most comfortable with those who share the same language and the culture and maybe came from the same country you came from or grew up in the same neighborhood in America that you grew up in or have the same skin color because in America skin color is very important. That's natural. But there's an overly obsession with my group versus everybody else. And my group is superior to everybody else. And the only people I trust are from my group. Know that you're hurting yourself first and foremost, but you're hurting everyone else as well. It's not the truth. Because Allah created your group, your nationality, your race, your ethnicity, your skin color, your language. But He also created all the other groups. They're not man-made groups. We didn't create languages. We create words. But the idea that Allah created human beings that can speak, which is quite different than most animals, if not all, our level of understanding and speech and communication and building up of civilizations, that's from Allah. And He created us, as we said in one of the first ayahs of this khutbah, and pretty much introduction to every khutbah, that He created you of different nations and different tribes. It's from Allah. So expand your horizons a little bit. It's not easy, because you'll meet people that like different things than you, and speak differently than you, and act differently than you, and think differently than you. It's very tough, but you will benefit. Right? Invest in yourself, in reading books, 
but also reading people and studying different people because there's a lot to learn from people that are especially different than yourself. Something that I personally try to apply in my life and I benefit a lot. I give a series of khutbahs on what I've learned from different groups of people from around the world. Different Arab countries, different than the countries my parents come from. People from the Indian subcontinent, which I grew up around, that are not from where I've been and never even visited this side of the world. Pakistan, India, Bangladesh. And the people that are African-American look very differently than me, grew up in very different neighborhoods than I did. Latino, etc., etc. White. So, point number one is to invest in yourself. If we're living in a time where everyone's talking about their New Year's resolutions, right? Again, I'm not, I know you're, maybe some of you are comfortable mentioning this al khutbah. I'm not encouraging you to do so. I know that just because something is in our society doesn't mean it's Islamic. I'm not telling you that you should make a New Year's resolution, right? Because we also know that we have a different calendar and a different view on time. The year is not so meaningful to us. One year passed by, we could die tomorrow. But the concept of I want to set goals for my life is Islamic because we know there's evidence that the Sahaba set goals for their lives. So if, you're, if everyone you're talking to and everyone around you at work and school is talking about New Year's resolutions, I implore you and I encourage you, and my goal and my hope for this khutbah is that you will see that your goals in every aspect of your life can be influenced by your deen, can improve your relationship with Allah, and can stem from your relationship with Allah. So invest in yourself. Number two, invest in your families, which is your responsibility, number two. It's a primary responsibility that we know you'll be asked for, asked about in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment. And there's a lot to say about families. Among the biggest challenges in the world today is the fact that families rarely even speak to each other. And the divorce rate is possibly even higher than the marriage rate. And the kids don't trust their parents and parents don't understand their kids. And the list goes on. But I want to focus on the problems because many of you are suffering from this, if not all of you. Probably every family has some issues, which is, again, natural. But some of them have, have, very, have serious issues. I know this for a fact. As a youth director in the community, when I speak to kids and their parents regularly, I know that some people are suffering and they don't want to hear this and they don't want to be reminded of this. But I do have to say, I'll try my best to be positive or try to bring forth maybe the beginning of a solution. Although I'm not a parent, so I'll not tell you how to parent. But I can tell you this. There are two extreme views on parenting. It's easier to talk about extremes and easier to talk about the big picture. It's hard to give individual advice. I'm not a counselor, a psychologist, a scholar, imam, none of the above. Two extreme views on parenting. Right? Extreme isn't, they're both wrong. Right? And it's easier to be on the extremes. It's harder to be balanced. It takes more work, more thought. One extreme is very common in the US and Europe and it's spreading around the world. This culture, which is rarely part of the cultures that we grew up in, but it's the area and the society that surrounds us, therefore it does impact us and especially impacts the kids born and raised in these countries, but really around the world today. And it is when the parent feels that their job and their purpose in life towards their kids is to make them happy. Understandable, could be a good intention. I'll show you how it's not exactly correct. And it goes something like this. Just be yourself. It's a parent talking to a kid. Just be yourself. Just have fun. Whatever makes you happy. Ignore everybody else, you're perfect just the way you are. Just do it. The list goes on. These are slogans of our times. These are phrases that you hear all the time. Advertising media and shows and movies and, and in the music and pretty much every culture. There's a reason for it. There's money in it. Everyone wants to hear something. Everyone wants to hear that they're perfect. No one wants to hear their flaws. It's easier to sell somebody something when you've shared with them that they're perfect. But from parenting, although the purpose of parenting is to guide your kids, not just to tell them that they're perfect, because none of us are perfect, but it's easier to tell your kids that they're perfect and easier to tell yourself that I'm a good parent because unlike other parents, I always remind my kids that they're perfect. And I always make them happy because if you have the money, I'm not generally Muslims in America, generally middle, middle, upper class, with some exceptions of course, but generally better than average. It's not that hard for us. Many of our families can't afford iPads, even for little kids. It's easy to give them an iPad and you see that they're happy, quote unquote happy because it's short-term happiness, long-term depression, anxiety. Short-term happiness and you feel happy, you made your kids happy, that was my goal, to make them happy, oh, it's easy. 
Sorry to burst your bubble, and I know you know this deep down, but that is not your purpose. Of course we want your kids to be happy, and I want you to be happy, we all want to be happy. It's not un-Islamic to want to be happy, but is our purpose in life Islamically to be happy? No, it's not. Because it's impossible. The Prophet was sad, and sometimes frustrated, and sometimes angry. So then those are natural human emotions. It's not because you're a, you're a Muslim that you'll be guaranteed happiness, nor is it that the ideal human being is someone who's always happy. It never happened in human history. So it's not the goal, if that makes sense. Can you guys please come forward and to my left? May Allah make space for you in Jannah, inshallah. Come forward, come forward. There's plenty of space. You move this way and up. So are you supposed to motivate your kids and inspire them and say positive words to them? Absolutely. But is your purpose in life to make them happy, to do whatever they say and... You know, encourage them to follow every desire and every whim? Absolutely not. You're hurting them. And they will resent you in the long term, even if they love it as kids. The other extreme, so this becomes more of a balanced picture. The other extreme is... Closer. Is this better? The other extreme is... The other extreme is parents that believe that it's all about command and control. More common in our culture. More common in the immigrant Muslim experience. More common among the Arabs, right? the African immigrants of the U.S., the Indo-Pak region, right? two-thirds of Muslims in America, so the majority, come from different cultures, but they have this in common, I think, generally. Your purpose is to give your kids orders, and a good kid is the one who obeys every order without even thinking. This is extreme. Again, it's understandable. Do parents know a lot, lot, lot more than their kids? Of course. Is there anybody in the whole planet that wants better for your kids than the parents? Anybody that has better intentions? Absolutely not. But is your purpose in life to give orders and for them to obey? Not exactly. I'll tell you why. Why? Because if Allah had wanted to, He could have given for every family one brain or one heart. He could have made it so that the dad is the only one with thinking. The dad, the dad or the mom or, or both of them together, whatever it is, is the only one that has any opinions or any thoughts or any beliefs. And the kids were robots. But He didn't create us that way. He created every human being with a mind and heart. And every single one of them will be held accountable from Allah. But you will be held accountable for your kids. So how do we balance this? Your responsibility is, Allah, Allah reminds the Prophet of this over and over in the Quran. Your responsibility only is to warn, to remind, to encourage, to teach, to preach. Right? Different words for the same thing. As parents, you give them instructions, you give them guidance, you remind them, you encourage them, you, you point out to them what happens when they do wrong. You point out to them what could be a better life for them. You point out why that decision isn't the best, why you have better alternatives for them. You give them options and so on. And there are times to put your foot down. But if you think your entire relationship is just Sama'at al and it's not correct. Is there obedience in our religion? Yes. There's not only obedience in our religion, there's blind, blind obedience. But it's not for parents. Forgive me if that upsets you, Ghani. This is the reality. <laughs> my parents watch my photos and listen to my audio, and they also discuss this with me, and they're kind of uncomfortable sometimes. But once I explain, they understand what I mean. And I've heard this from scholars, not even just from me or my parents. It's not my own opinions on this. And it makes sense once you think about it. Absolute obedience, as in you don't even really think about, should I, should I not do what is being told? Absolute obedience is for Allah and His Messenger only. And it makes sense, because Allah and His Messenger have never and will never tell you something that's bad for you. In fact, Allah knows us better than we know ourselves. So it's great when He tells us what to do, and actually that's fantastic. Life is, it causes anxiety to always oh, have to think about all the options and all the possibilities and to make all your career decisions and how to raise your kids. It's, it causes you anxiety. It makes you nervous. It's frustrating. It's upsetting. And it's hard because you know you'll never always make the right choices. So if Allah says five prayers a day, Alhamdulillah, He made it easier for us. And He says this in the Quran, this again is not my, my opinion or my interpretation of the events. Allah says that He's trying to make it easier for you. Allah's trying to make it easier for us. So absolute obedience for Allah's messenger. Parents come after the messenger. And you should, a good kid is one who is absolutely trying their best to be obedient. So I'm not saying disobey your parents, they're wrong to give you orders, not at all. A good kid is one who is always trying their best to obey their parents. 
But the relationship is not one of absolute and blind obedience. Because a kid is allowed to have different views, is allowed to have different opinions, different interests, different personality. Not is allowed to. Allah created us this way. How many of you, all your kids have the same personality? In our family, each of us has a different personality and different than our parents. And that's probably the most, that's very common. And really, you don't really choose your personality. If a five, six-year-old acts differently than a three-year-old kid, who, who they chose this? They didn't choose their personality. We don't choose our personalities. You can choose to build certain habits, break certain habits, although it's tough to make change, but you don't really choose your personality. That's what Allah. So it's okay to see the world a little bit differently, you know, within reason. There's always right and wrong, but not every situation, every choice is halal and haram. That's wrong. That's a cultural thing. We do this at times. And parents will tell their kids that if they disobey them, that it's haram or that it's sinful, but it isn't necessarily. Now on the kid's side, okay, so I'm talking about parents, and parents might be getting uncomfortable. I'm not a parent, not even a parent. I'm 26, so I take all this with a grain of salt, of course. Mainly I should be speaking to the youth. So I'm just transitioning to the youth. It's just that my goal is as best as possible to bring the parents and kids together, because what I see is pretty bad in the community. If, uh, may Allah make it easy for all of us. Kids need to understand that they don't even, I'm generalizing, as a generation around the world, most of them, including me, don't even know what it's like to be a good kid. They don't even know what it means to be a good kid to their parents. They don't even know. Why? For a number of reasons. One is they're young. So even the parents who are good parents, when they were kids, they probably made mistakes. That's part, partly part of it. The other thing, that's why in the Quran, Allah praises those who are young and do amazing things. Like, so the Kaf is pretty much entirely about the people of the Kaf. They're like 10, 12, 15, whatever. They're like teenagers. So Allah praises them. So scholars throughout history and Muslims around the world, forever, for centuries, are reading the story of the Kaf about young people. It's amazing because they were young and they still did amazing things. So that means the norm is that kids will make mistakes and they'll mess up and they'll do things that you don't like. That's one. Number two is they're looking at other kids around them. Muslim, non-Muslim, practicing, not practicing. Most of them, non-Muslim, not practicing. And they look at their way they treat their parents, which is which is major sin. Not even you know, ten times less than that would be a major sin. Being 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 impolite, not even disobedient. Impolite to your parents is a major sin. So just so we're clear, you know, I'm not encouraging people to be disobedient. The uh, the 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 common average behavior of kids towards their parents in our society so on is beyond major sin. So if they're comparing themselves to that, that's another reason why your kids might not be as obedient as you want them to be. And they don't even know how to be good kids. So again, it's not to blame the parents. Of course, there's a lot more to be said about each of these areas. I'll try to keep it brief. The point of this was, it's a new year. A lot of people are celebrating a new year. We don't as Muslims. But when we're thinking about time and about investing yourself and people are setting goals, there's an Islamic point of view on this. And I humbly believe that the best advice is, while thinking about the big picture and thinking about what's going on around the world, and we should care as Muslims, try your best to make a change in yourself. Because that's where it starts. So invest in yourself, number one. Your family, number two. Your community, number three. This was for those who came late as well. This was the... Outline of the khutbah. And we're on number three, the community. Right? Everybody wants to be treated well. Everyone wants people to forgive them for all their faults. Everyone wants everybody to treat them mercifully and to see them as their brother and to trust them and to be kind to them and want to do business with them and want to invite them to their house, etc., etc. But rarely do we want to respond. I know that that makes no sense. How do you build a community when you're not forgiving of others? Forgive others so Allah can forgive you. Have mercy towards others so Allah will have mercy on you. Be patient with Allah because we all want Allah to be patient with us. And know that you can't build brotherhood and build community unless you see yourself individually accountable. Your individual character, to really go back to where we started, it was yourself. Your individual character, your spirituality, your good manners, your productivity, your positivity in the community, as in coming up with solutions, not just problems, directly impact the rest of the community. Everyone else is also in the same boat as you. 
of should I respond with positive to this? Should I be patient with this? Because I don't like the person what he said. Should I be patient, patient, merciful, and forgiving, or should I crack down on them and insult them and criticize them and reject them, or at least give them a look and a stare? And, and every one of those micro transactions, each one of those one minute, 30 second, five second, just a look, every one of those adds up. Our community is a sum total of all of us. Like, what do you think someone's gonna come down from the sky and like change the whole way the world works today? That's not gonna happen. It's not the time to go on change. Allah says what? Allah will not change anything. Perfectly capable. Allah can actually get rid of the seven, eight billion people in the world and replace them with another. And hope he doesn't do that out of punishment. Right? And he reminds us that he can do this. These are ayahs in the Quran. But the view on change is that I'm Allah is saying completely capable of changing everything. Good to bad, bad to good. It's all our perception of it. It's all good in Allah's eyes. Yeah? It can change it completely, but you have to change within yourself. So he wants, he puts us on this earth as a test, so we have to bring about the change. You want a better community in Houston? You want a better Masjid Yassin running better? Then you, can't, you have to forgive others when, you, when they do things and say things that you don't like. You have to be merciful towards others and listen to others and be patient with others. Okay. If you're the, someone who's spreading gossip and talk, co- commenting on everyone else's negatives, which is easy to do so, you just sit down and you just look at it, you just watch people, you'll see a million falls, flaws. You'll see a million flaws, a million faults. Why? Because we all have flaws. And know that if you're someone who gets around with other people and just comments on people's negatives, as soon as you leave that group, they're commenting on your negatives. What did you accomplish? Some people think it's like a skill. It's like experience. Like they're really good at pointing out people's flaws. I don't know, maybe it is a skill. But I mean, what's the, it's a skill with no benefit unless you use it. If you find people's faults and then you go point out to them in a way that's appropriate, that these are their faults and this is how they can improve, wow. You became a change maker. You become a hero. And it seems so simple. But there's very few people that are trying to create solutions. There's two types of people. Those who come up with a solution for every problem and those who have a problem for every solution. It's up to you. So don't blame the time, the place. Allah chose your time and your place. Don't blame yourself, your community, your ethnicity, your race. Don't blame your community, the message, and so on. You didn't actually really choose all that stuff. So you complain about that, you die tomorrow, you're buried. What was the point? Focus on the things that you can change. You have a specific personality that Allah chose, specific interests, specific knowledge, skills, and so on. Do your best to be positive. If you can't be positive, you stay out of that situation. Maybe you're not meant to be in that team or that committee or that gathering or that event or commenting on that debate or that discussion or that mas'ala or that you know, issue. It's fine. There's something for everyone. So be either provide positivity or... Or stay out of it. And I'm speaking to myself as well, just reminding myself. I all, all the time, I also get emotional and start commenting on everything and criticizing everyone. It's easy to do so. But then the community is us. It's really just some total of us. So motivate others and inspire others and encourage others and uplift others. Don't be someone who breaks things down. Be someone who builds things up. 